Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. What is this, amateur hour? Yeah, I ain't no Superman businessman like you. You know, I'm just a... Amateur. I suppose. Amateur hour. Is what's happening. <laughs> amateur hour. Is what's happening. Amateur hour is the best podcast in the world. Yeah. Amateur hour is the best podcast in the world. Come on. Uh-huh. This is a show about the Chiefs, the football team that plays in Kansas City. Friendship and fun and stats that you won't believe. AHPKC will begin shortly. Hey, hey. Hey, Dirk. Are you ready? Let's do this thing. Come on, let's go. Let's go. It's football time. Yeah. Yeah. That's right, folks. It is time for Amateur Hour. I am Ryan Scott Hall, and the man alongside me, the uh, I don't know. I don't have a. I don't have a compliment for him. It's just my. It's my good friend. His darkness. What's up? What's up, Dirk? How's it going, man? Are you having a great day? Yeah, I, well, I usually get inspired by your compliments there, and nothing there. <sighs> yeah, There's I was. Nothing. I I figured instead of stumbling all over it, I would just say, "But it's Dirk. It's Dirk. We got the Dirk here." I figured you had something that I had said in a drunken stupor on Sunday that you could throw back in my face, but I guess not. I actually do have a really oh, great. great his Dirkness quote from Sunday. Um, yeah. At one point. Uh, the Bengals defense, they they got a little bit too close to our quarterback and Dirk standing next to me and with a good crowd around him points down to the field, even though we were like way up at the tip top. He points down to the field and he says, don't you touch him. Don't you touch him. <laughs> and I was just like so happy to, to see you get defensive of our uh, our pride and joy, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I said it and I meant it. Well, we were uh, at Arrowhead Stadium on Sunday. As you pointed out to me in the parking lot, the first time you had been to, did you say, was it five straight games you'd been to without my presence? Yeah. Man, that must have been a really, really tough five-game stretch for you, I imagine. It's pretty... Pretty hard to do it um, nope. out there without me. I mean, I had to make somebody else cook, but, you know, <laughs> you, know you can right. find people. Right. Well, I mean, huge shout out to Ryan Ewing. Uh, thanks for, for letting us tag along with you on Sunday, sir. Um, and, you know, good to, good to meet some of his friends and family. And we had a good old time out there at Arrowhead. Chiefs beating the Bengals 45 to 10. Dirk, I wanted to ask you this. So they put up 45, um, and we had 45 with like 13 minutes left. Um, They also kind of, you felt like they left points on the field a few times. And um, I'm, I'm curious, 
Like, how many points do you like? What's the most points the Chiefs will score this year? Like, and and I mean, we're so used to the Andy Reid shutdown mode. Like, are they going to get close to forty-five again? Oh yeah, they'll they'll get near forty-five. They'll put up fifty in at least one game this year. Uh, I mean, if Spencer Ware doesn't trip over the fourteen-yard line, he's gonna he's gonna put fifty on the board in that game. Um, and they'll they'll play way worse teams at some point. Uh, I, I would I would think I think they'll flirt with sixty at one point. I think they'll have a drive where we're looking at sixty points and we got a chance for it. Uh, you know, unsure if we get that or not, but we're putting up fifty at least once this season. Book it. I'd love to see them like get get up to sixty. I mean, give me give me seventy even. Um, I did hear. On the post game, when I was driving home uh, from Kansas City, driving uh, home to Warrensburg, that is, I was listening to the eight ten post game show, and they had this anecdote. I guess they were um, chatting with like one of the grounds people, and the guy said that um, after the Chiefs' last touchdown, they said that they only had fireworks for one more touchdown. So, like, like if the Chiefs score. More than more than once more, we can't. We we're out of fireworks. We've got none left. So I'm wondering if they're gonna have to uh, gonna have to ask Clark or or maybe you know Mark Donovan like, hey, we need a we need a bigger fireworks budget. You guys went out and drafted this kid. He's lighting up the scoreboard, and we gotta have enough fireworks in order to support that here at Arrowhead. I mean, if they put up 60 points in a game, we'll we'll be making our own fireworks up in the uh, upper upper levels there. Oh yeah, we got it. We got it covered. Well, just you just gotta bring some explosives into the game. It shouldn't be that hard, right? <laughs> I mean, depending depending on how cold it is. Um. All right. Look, I gotta. I I have to. Can I just? I just gotta. I need to take a few minutes. I just need to take a few minutes. Um. Like we're taking so, a break. No. Well, I mean, you can if you want. Like I'm. Right. I will ultimately see if you want to chime in on this, but. I had a very frustrating afternoon on the tweet machine and I just, I just, I gotta, I gotta vent a little bit. So um, I know that there are many folks out there that don't participate in Twitter. And even if they do, they probably don't care about this, but I gotta get into it. So Patrick Peterson, um, my, my, uh, I don't know, major flirtation right now for the chiefs as a, a potential trade target, uh, Patrick Peterson. Hey, I think. Hey, yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember when you didn't even want him? That was fun. No. So I didn't say I didn't want him. I said the Cardinals weren't interested in trading him. Yeah. And and I, and it appeared. I, I actually I actually tried to find some tweets from you to throw in your face because you were going so hard at it. And I was like, damn, Ryan didn't even want him two weeks ago. Uh, but yeah, it was mostly. Uh, it was mostly uh, Arizona's not going to give them up from you kind of thing. Right. And and that's just because it was like it's being reported that they are. And then you have the owner and the coach and the general manager just being like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, and there, it sounds like they're still kind of standing, uh, you know, on that. But you also have, you know, the team getting blown out 45 to 10 and in front of a national audience. Um, and ultimately, I believe it was uh, on Monday – Patrick Peterson publicly came out and basically said like he's he is pleading like uh, it was reported by Adam Schefter um, that Patrick Peterson is like begging to get off of that team 
Um, so that's a big, that's a, a huge development as, as far as I'm concerned, that Patrick Peterson is essentially like begging them to trade him. Um, and then ultimately his cousin and a former NFL player tweeted out that like the Saints were his preferred destination. And I know he played at LSU, but I don't know much more beyond that. So um, regardless, the Saints go out today and uh, they trade some some low-level draft picks in order to get Eli Apple, but they basically don't have a pick in the first four rounds in 2019 because of moves that they've made. So I think that they're completely off the board. So as far as uh, being positioned to acquire um, who I would consider the best cornerback in the NFL – um, I mean, I think that the Chiefs have all the ammunition that they need, and they should be able to look at it on paper and say, we've got every reason to do this. Um, I, I, I just want to point out a few things. First and foremost, uh, Dirk, I think that this feeds into something that we have been building up to, um, an idea that you had kind of marinated on, I, I guess, over an offseason and then ultimately decided that it was the, about the 2019 Chiefs. You planted your flag on that and said, like, the Chiefs are going to be building for 2019. Like, that's the year that they really want to try to win the Super Bowl. And a lot of that, it was built around the idea that Patrick Mahomes needed a full season of sitting and then another full season on the field of figuring it out and primarily that the Chiefs would start being able to have a lot more cap flexibility with Mahomes' rookie contract and getting some of the old money off the books. And you you likened this situation to the Seattle Seahawks, um, who were able to do this with Russell Wilson. Um, he comes in, he starts playing really well, and then suddenly Seattle has hit on a bunch of draft picks. They've got a bunch of young guys, but then they're like, oh, well, we can go out and sign huge free agents and we can pay people like Cliff Averill to come in town. You know, we can pay people like Michael Bennett to come in town, guys that they didn't draft. And they ultimately went out and spent big money to solidify the roster and give them a, a marked advantage against the rest of the NFL. And that was kind of how the rookie quarterback contract thing was born. Well, the Chiefs have... Patrick Mahomes on a rookie contract. He's already in year two. So that means that he has two more years after this season of like really cost controlled. And then if they go to the fifth year option, instead of re-signing him, that fifth year option is going to be close to $20 million because he's the 10th overall pick and he's a quarterback. And that's just how that works. So we've got two, two years in this window of basically having an advantage of not having to pay Pat Mahomes very much money. Well, Patrick Peterson is exactly the kind of player that you were talking about trying to sign during the rookie contract window. He's the best cornerback in the NFL. He's arguably one of the 10 most valuable defensive players on the planet at a position where you have zero depth right now and a very uncertain future because beyond this season, you have a six-round pick, an undrafted free agent, and Kendall Fuller under contract. Now, I saw a lot of people today, um, I guess really over the last two days, saying, well, this is a luxury. We don't need this because, you know, they think that guys like Orlando Skandrick and Steven Nelson um, and, and, of course, Kendall Fuller have been playing well. Um, and, and that's fair. I think that we have all agreed that those guys are playing well. But, you know, what, 
two months ago, everyone was like, I don't think Steven Nelson is good. And Orlando Skandrick wasn't even on the team yet. And we all thought Kendall Fuller was going to be amazing. And he's been okay. Um, thing, you know, life comes at you fast in the NFL. If one of these three guys, the only three players with any defensive snaps for this team, um, if any of those guys gets hurt, it's going to get real ugly, real fast. And I, I just, I just don't understand how anyone like that supports the chiefs or even inside of the chiefs building could be against the idea of, of reaching out and, and acquiring a guy that is currently only the fourth highest paid corner. And he's entering an off season where Jalen Ramsey, Marcus Peters, Xavier, Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, and Jimmy Smith are all looking for big paydays. Like over the next two seasons after this one, Inside of the Mahomes rookie window, you will have arguably the best corner in the NFL, provided he doesn't suddenly have an injury and he's never had one in his career. Like, I just, I don't, I, everything about it screams to me that the Chiefs need to make this move right now. And if it, if, if anyone is looking for, for any other reason, um, you know, Bill Belichick is interested. And like, if Belichick is, is looking at something, then like every other team should be looking at it too. I'm just I'm I'm losing my mind. I'm so frustrated right now. I don't I don't really get your frustration. Uh, I mean, the people are, of course, everyone would want to add Patrick Peterson. I mean, the price that you have to give up is is the debate, uh, and you know, a couple first round picks is quite a bit. Uh, and I do kind of get the sentiment like who sits when you're looking at the three corners right now because none of them are really playing bad enough that you want to be like, hey, take a seat on the bench. But, you know, the counter to that's pretty easy. Like, say the Chiefs lose in the AFC Championship game this this season, and you kind of look back at it and you think about, you know, what could have happened, what if, and, you know, and, and it would be kind of hard to wrap your mind around, well, we had a chance to acquire Patrick Peterson, but we didn't do it because of Steven Nelson. Like, Steven Nelson would be the one in the way of, you know, not getting Patrick Peterson kind of thing. If, if you're if – you're, thought process is I like our three corners therefore we don't need to add uh this this all-world corner over here because I trust these three guys and they're and they're you know doing a good enough job right now which I get I mean I get the statement but I just don't think it's um it's 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 too narrow-minded you're not you're not stepping back and seeing kind of like the whole picture uh and and how you know Patrick Peterson game changer whereas Steven Nelson more or less is just a guy, even though he's playing well. I mean, I kind of talked last week about how I said there's maybe five good corners in the league. After I said that, I kind of thought about it on the week or marinated on a bit. I thought maybe like 10 corners, but still, I think once you get past that first wave, it's such a hard position to play that, you know, you know, throw a guy like Kendall Fuller in there. Like he had a good year last year, but I mean, in the end, is he really going to be one of those top corners that you can actually rely on that's, that's you know, playing the hardest position to play in football? Yeah, the hardest position to play. Uh, is he really going to be that, or is he just another one of these guys that's, you know, kind of going to be up and down, and, you know, he does a pretty good job, and he's just kind of okay? Uh, but, you know, I, I mean, I guess the price, uh, you made a really good point talking about, I mean, well, I don't want to look at it too much because it's just a hypothetical trade thrown out by Daniel Jeremiah, and he just he – just, right picked it at random, I think. I mean, he doesn't have any insight in it. He's just like, here's what a trade might look like. Uh, and it was basically like saying, 
Chiefs send two first round picks and the, the Cardinals give back, you know, a second round pick in Patrick Peterson. Uh, and, I, and I liked your point that like a second round pick from the Cardinals uh, is only going to be like five spots behind uh, the Chiefs uh, first round pick this year. I mean, it could be it could be 32 and 33 looking at it. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a good point on that. But I mean, it's still I mean, we don't know if it's even an option at this point. There is starting to get to be a lot of smoke. Uh, so that's that's a promising sign. Uh, and, and hearing that he wants to be out, that's 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 good news if you're wanting to get him. And then, then it just comes down to price. I mean, what are you willing to give up? You're kind of trading. It's not just too many people do the exercise like, well, would you rather have this guy that we took in the first round or Patrick Peterson? Well, you know, money comes into that. Uh, age comes into that. There's, there's a lot more factors than just comparing, you know, player A to player B. Uh, so I think that's an oversimplification there. Like, you just look at it like, what would you rather have? You know, who's, whoever our first round pick was before or Patrick Peterson. It's it's just not uh, very logical. So what you're doing is trading uh, like a, a cheap young asset that would really help you in years, you know, 2020, 2021, that kind of thing. So you are kind of selling a little bit uh, down the road, uh, about three to five years, uh, giving away these first round picks. But you're really helping a team now. And and honestly, I'm I mean, I'm all for it. I'm not really arguing against you because I... Uh, I'm definitely for trading for Patrick Peterson. I said uh, on this show last week that if they traded for him this year, they're winning the Super Bowl. Uh, I, I honestly, I think they might win it without him. But uh, uh, so I am all for it. Uh, I think you make the move, and I think the time to strike is now. So I, I mean, I'm I'm all for it. I just, I guess where my frustration comes is like I I'm looking at it as it's an investment in right now. But it's also an investment over the next like two seasons afterward. Like it, for for people to say like I don't want to mortgage the future. This actually solidifies the Chiefs' future more than it currently stands because the Chiefs don't have anyone of note aside from Kendall Fuller at this position next year. And suddenly, you know, you were asking questions like, you know, how how good is Kendall Fuller? Do we know that, you know, he's going to be one of these 10 good corners? The answer to that is we don't know, but I can tell you what, he's going to look a heck of a lot better playing opposite Patrick Peterson. I mean, dude, I, I guess Does, I just... I mean, hold, on, hold, on, hold on, let me let me question that. What, I mean, what makes him look better? He didn't... The assignments don't change. He stays in the slot. P- Peterson isn't chasing a number one receiver with Sutton, I don't believe. So, I mean, wh- what happens to Fuller is he gets a lot more targets. Uh, and, you know, maybe that helps him. Maybe that maybe that's what we want. You know, this is a good corner that you can throw at. Like, but how does it make it look – how does it make Fuller look better? Well, okay, so I understand what you mean. Um, I'm. I guess what I'm thinking about is like – the fact that Fuller isn't automatically your number one corner, right? Because Peterson gets to do that. And now, while we have no idea if they're going to allow a guy like Patrick Peterson to travel, I mean, I I, I don't know if that's just Bob Sutton's philosophy or if he's never had a corner that he's felt comfortable allowing to do it. And that's something that Patrick Peterson has done since he was a rookie in this league. Like, he he travels, he goes and he follows the best receiver. 
I mean, this guy is a three-time All-Pro and has been a captain on his team for countless years and is squeaky clean in every possible manner. Like, if Bob Sutton was going to allow someone to travel, this is the guy. I mean, I guess I just, I don't know. I, I, I look at the fact, like, the biggest thing for me is that, like, over the next two seasons, the actual, like, cap hit for a guy like Patrick Peterson is around 22 million total dollars, right? Like that's it's it's really not much for 2019 and 2020. And you look at like what guys are getting paid on the open market. I mean, next <coughs> season, uh, well, uh, right. I mean, I look at like so a a 29-year-old Patrick Peterson at the start of next season. His birthday is in the middle of the year. It's in July, right? So during this past during this past offseason, Prince of Mukamara at 29 years old signed a three-year contract for $27 million. Like that is that is four million dollars less on a year-by-year basis than the best cornerback in the NFL. I mean, I don't know how people feel about Tremaine Johnson or Malcolm Butler, but both of those guys signed five-year contracts worth more money in guarantees and per year value and and every possible metric that you could think of than what Patrick Peterson will be making over the next two seasons. I mean, it's it's unbelievable what this guy would be available for on the open market. And like that just makes him more valuable to me where I look at whatever the potential trade or draft pick compensation could be. It's just like, what, what we're going to turn around instead of trading for Patrick Peterson, because people don't want to give up a first round pick. We're going to turn around and draft someone at, at corner, most likely because we don't have any assets sunk into that position and don't know if that guy's going to be good. And yeah, we're going to hope that he develops and we're going to hope that, you know, it, it works out well, but like, I'm just looking at like, this is, it's to me it looks perfect because while Mahomes isn't making money, you can pay Patrick Peterson in his prime what is still well below what his market value is and then at the end of his contract like you just can let him walk when he's, you know, 30 or 31 years old. It just it, it just makes all the sense in the world to me and I just assume that he's going to end up on the Patriots and then we're not going to be able to be effective offensively in January in Foxborough against him and Stefan Gilmore and the Patriots are going to win another championship. I just that's how I feel. That's my that's the the Chiefs fan coming out in me. But I I got really frustrated today because I kept seeing all these people like wanting to argue for I would never give up a first round pick for him, let alone like multiple first rounders, even if the first one is negligible because you'd be getting a second round pick back, at least in that hypothetical scenario. And then all these people started talking about Landon Collins, who is in the last year of his contract and also plays safety where we're supposed to be getting both Eric Berry and Daniel Sorensen back. I don't know if we are or not. But I'm supposed to be trusting the Chiefs, and they're saying that both of those guys are coming back. Like we have reinforcements at that position, and I just I don't I don't know. It just to me it seems like the perfect opportunity and the perfect fit. And and I got really frustrated today because I had so many people that it seemed like people were fighting back against what just looks like a no brainer to me. Yeah, I mean I I don't know I don't really know what they were I mean. They just don't want to give up the draft picks, I guess, but I'm I'm all in for it. So 
All right, so let's talk about the actual Kansas City Chiefs instead of just Patrick Peterson. Thank you for allowing me, Dirk, to uh, to get off that that get that off of my chest. I guess that was eloquent. Yeah, yeah, get off of my chest. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right, so Andy Reid got his two hundredth win on Andrew. Sunday. Um. Dude, he deserves this situation so much. Like just being able to look forward um, and and see that, like you know, barring an injury to Patrick Mahomes, uh, the rest of Andy's career is secure. That's the way that I look at it. Um, I, I mean, I he just I just feel like he deserves this opportunity. This opportunity that seems like you know over the next few years the chiefs are going to be very serious contenders uh for a lombardi trophy which andy reed is needed um he, that's what he needs to essentially solidify his hall of fame resume is winning a championship um and i mean obviously like you i can point the finger at at all of the chiefs fans and say that you know doggone it we deserve it too um i guess i'm i'm curious so if andy reed is sitting at 200 wins right now um, and and we don't know how long he's going to stay, but that's kind of where this question is going. Like, how many wins do you think Andy ends with? I mean, if if the Chiefs are just going to put together ten wins a year, I mean, how where does Andy Reid retire? I mean, yeah, you think you think three hundred is in play? You're looking at ten years of ten wins, or you know, eight years of twelve wins, which might be uh, more of the path that we're headed towards. Uh, but man, yeah, 300, I think, uh, I had these numbers at one point we were talking with Danny, uh, just kind of trying to project where he ends up on the career wins list. But I mean, there's a great chance he's going to finish top five all time. Uh, and the only active coach ahead of him is Bill Belichick. I think he's sitting at third right now, but, uh, I mean, unless something happens and, and this is a guy who, you know, whose, whose son died and didn't even take a year off of coaching. So I don't think he's, uh, looking for an out anytime soon, especially as he's, uh, you know, built this situation around him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would think 300 is kind of the uh, the target of uh, what he's trying to do with his career. Or maybe he could be like Dirk and get a 299. Oh, okay. But, I, I mean, that's a pretty big choke. It's a pretty yeah. big choke. And Andy never chokes, right? I don't – yeah, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Um, I so I mean, if you look just inside of the Bengals game, I mean, let's let's just review some of the things that happened on the field. Um, I, I think that a lot of people walked away from this game, maybe like with more takeaways about the defense than the offense. Like, do you, do you think that that's a fair characterization? Like, does the defense deserve more airtime this week? than the offense does? Uh, no, never. Never. <laughs> never. I, I guess the, uh, the way that I looked at it was like, I think what impressed me most about the offense was that, I mean, Travis Kelsey was like a yard or two away, I think, but like they didn't have anybody get 100 yards, right? Um, Mahomes had his career high uh for for passing yards in a game but like i think i think that it it really felt like kareem hunt was the guy that that kind of led the way for the chiefs but like there wasn't anybody that had this just like really explosive statistical night 
unless you look at Mahomes specifically because he gets to distribute the ball to all of these different talented playmakers. Um, but it was just like they got contributions from everyone, um, and and they end up you know putting up thirty eight offensive points. Um, I, it, it just seemed like they just they weren't challenged by Cincinnati's defense at all. I mean, I I have a, a picture uh, that I was able to barely snap as you were trying to put me under pressure there late in the fourth quarter. Um, and and basically before Jeff Driscoll took the field for Cincinnati, um, the Chiefs were outgaining the Bengals like 550 to 185. I mean, Cincinnati, uh, they, they just – they had no answer – for what the chiefs were doing offensively. And this kind of felt like one of those games that you talked about where like, we're just going to overwhelm some teams and they're just not going to be able to do anything about it. Once the chiefs were up 14, nothing, it was just like Cincinnati was just done for the night. Yeah. I do think you will see a, uh, a fair share about that or a fair share of that this season. Uh, I do want to say uh, we'll, we'll get to the offense in a bit, but just the game overall, I think we saw the chiefs, a a game effort from them. Uh, I think it was their their most complete uh, performance of the season. Uh, and and man, when I think I think when the Chiefs are playing their A game, I think there's maybe two teams that could that could even hope to to stay in the game. Like I think it's the Rams and the Patriots. Uh, and you could you could maybe say the Saints if if you wanted to. I, I guess I'd listen to that. I'd say maybe on the Saints, but I think. If the Chiefs are playing their A game, and you can even convince me that the Patriots couldn't keep up, because I honestly think the Chiefs played their C game against the Patriots, and they played their A game, and we listed everything that went right, and it was still a three-point game. Uh, so, uh, but but the Patriots, I guess, I mean, it's still Brady and Belichick. We're, they're still going to be around uh, in January, so I think they'll they'll still be improving, and they're going to get better, uh, and they could even make some, you know, you know. Uh, adjustments before the next game. So I'll, I'll put them in the conversation. But I think when the Chiefs are playing their A game, it's the Rams, the Patriots, and them. And, and everybody else in the NFL just isn't on the same level. It's just, it's just not, not on our level. And it's, and it's just you can, you can sense it. I mean, honestly, I've, I keep, I've gone out to Arrowhead three times this year. I haven't seen a fucking game yet. I haven't, I haven't been invested in the game past the second quarter a single time. Every time it's, the game's just over. It's just... We just go out there and blow the doors off the team. It's it's just magnificent. Uh, I, the Chiefs are so damn good right now. I'm I'm struggling to even come up with analysis for the team. It's just like, just fucking put them out there and let them score. Here they go. And and every week it's just that. And it's uh, I got to stop going to games because I'm I'm paying too much money to go and you know for 30 minutes of competition when and then it's just three hours of like, well, should I keep drinking or should I you know you know pad it in for the night and uh, you know start taking it easy, think about tomorrow a little bit. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, biggest takeaway from that game, Chiefs played their A game. If they're playing their A game, there's only two teams in the NFL that could even have a shot of, of keeping up with them. So there's a, a couple of things in there that, uh, I, I want to address. And first and foremost, I, I want to ask you how much of you saying that the Chiefs played their A game has to do with the defensive performance. Oh, a lot. I mean, I mean. I would say the Chiefs offense has played uh, their A game a couple of times. I mean, the Steelers game is the one that uh, jumps out first. Uh, I'd have to look at the other ones to uh, see about that for sure. But, but yes, definitely defensive performance factors in. 
I mean, Cincinnati had a pretty good offense. I mean, they have they were sixth in scoring. They were scoring like thirty points a game. This was the I think yeah, I mean, there were uh, so many stats that came out of Mellinger's article, and I think that one of them was that Cincinnati hadn't scored fewer than like twenty four yet, and they got held to ten. Yeah, and I mean, this wasn't like shutting down the Jaguars' offense. It wasn't like that. It was a <laughs> legit NFL offense that the Chiefs' defense just came out and and took care of. I mean, I, and uh, I don't want to overlook the offense because the defense played so well. Because um, I mean, they they scored thirty eight offensive points, and the team as a whole puts up forty five. Um, but I think if like if anything is a good indication of how effective they were offensively. It's that for only the third time in franchise history, they didn't have to punt. I mean, like uh, Mahomes threw the one pick. You said um, the third time in franchise history? Yeah, three times in franchise history, they've gone through a game without punting, and this was wow. this was the third time. I would, so, I, man, I'm, that number seems so low. I, I almost think it's wrong, but you know, I kind of trust you, and I definitely trust Mellinger. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I, I just, I was obviously really impressed with what the offense did. Um, I, I think that like the, the one thing I think that really stood out to me was that, you know, at one point and I wanted, it was like the second quarter or something, you know, the chiefs had just kind of been rolling along and you and I look at each other and say, Man, like I was actually really worried about what Geno Atkins was going to do today because you've got, you know, Andrew Wiley and Jordan Devi out there to which Geno Atkins immediately made a play and so we were like, okay, we can't we can't think about Geno Atkins. Don't mention him again. And we didn't and he disappeared. That was like the curse of the commentator, I guess at that point in in reverse. Um but I mean, it, it was just like the offensive line just didn't seem to skip a beat. Now, I mean, it's going to be a, a real test now because it's Jeff Allen season with uh, Jordan Devey going down uh, with some, I don't know, boob issue, they said. Tit. Uh, tit. He's, got, he's got a tit, as Dirk <laughs> tweeted. Um, but, man, I mean, it's it just seems like this, this like, it's such a sports trope to be able to say next man up. And the chiefs have been saying that for the last few years, but like they're, they've really been able to, to navigate injuries really well until it gets to the playoffs, I guess. And especially when it seems like they're always missing their best players. I mean, yeah, the, the offensive line was, was fantastic. And I kind of, uh, I started watching like these highlight videos, just like these, uh, NFL has like a 10 to 15 minute video that kind of shows you every play of significance in the game. Uh, and so I was kind of looking for, for Geno Atkins. Like, how is this dude not more of a, of a factor? Honestly, dude, he didn't look all that interested in the game. Like it just, hmm. the game gets away from him, and they just, I think these defenses just get demoralized. Like what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, like I'm supposed to go all out and, you know, maybe sniff Mahomes, and then he runs away and throws it downfield for 50 yards. Like, I think some of these defenders are just, you know, what's what's Geno Atkins going to do once it's, you know, 38-7? Like, well, you know, I'm packing it in. I, I The rest of the guys can, you know, go all out here. Uh, I'm Geno Atkins. I am, I'm not busting my tail on this 38-7 game. And I think it's just I, – I, I think defensive don't know what to do. 
uh, once they once they see this buzzsaw coming through, then they just get rolled up, and it's just like they just kind of mentally check out. Like, uh, I mean, I've kind of been there. I've, I've I've played a lot of flag football and, and gotten my ass kicked a handful of times. And once it happens, you know, over and over, you just kind of throw your hands up, and you know, it's kind of apathy sets in. Like, you just accept your fate. Uh, so I would say uh, Geno Atkins and the Bengals accepted their fate on Sunday at, at a certain point when it when it got out of hand. Yeah, and I mean, and that's the kind of like demoralizing effect that the Chiefs' offense can have on on what I think is like a a pretty a pretty big number of NFL teams. I mean, we look at the next three weeks, and you have uh, you've got the Browns and. When- the- and the Broncos and the Cardinals before the Rams game in Mexico city. And it's just like, what are these teams supposed to be able to do? Like they're probably looking at this on their schedule and being like, I'd I'd rather be sitting at home watching the chiefs do this to somebody else than, than having to show up on Sunday. Um, I mean, it's, I think it's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> but it is kind of, but but it is kind of like you used to talk about how like being a Colts fan with Peyton Manning oh, no. or being a Pats fan with Tom Brady like that it was a little bit boring um and I mean I'm not bored yet but like you know might get there might get there I mean it's going to be fun to watch them light up the scoreboard and it's so exciting because it's because it's this young quarterback and it's something that dear lord we haven't seen in in our lives unless it was somebody playing for the other team but like yeah there's not there there's going to be a lot of games where there's just like zero drama we're just going to overwhelm teams in the first quarter or the first half and then especially if you get Andy Reid shutdown mode instead of like can we get to 70 today um then then you know it's going to be a lot of like really ugly second halves of football games in our future yeah, I mean, I mean, every Arrowhead game has has kind of been that at this point. Uh, that's, that is one of my uh, prouder theories that I think, you know, it's kind of the KU basketball, uh, the Colts, you know, in the heyday of Peyton Manning. Now, now, for the record, I don't want people freaking out about this, saying that the, that Mahomes isn't fun right now. It's it's around like year eight to year ten, you know, when you are absolutely positive the Colts are making the playoffs, and and at that point they had you know, gotten the number one seed so many times and blown it, like, they could do whatever they wanted in the regular season and nothing mattered. Like, none of this matters because if you lose again in January, it's just going to be another disappointing Colts team. Uh, so I think the Colts did kind of reach a point. A uh, few teams have really reached that point, I would say, in the NFL, like, to be that uh, dominant. Um, but it, it also kind of goes with, like, dominance, but, like, not having the postseason success, too. So I think KU and, and the Colts are kind of the, the prime examples there. Like, you know, KU wins another Big 12 uh, regular season title, uh, which with the streak is fantastic. But, you know, take that streak away and, like, who cares? Like, who cares what the, you know, 2014 KU team did uh, in the regular season? The only thing that matters is how they do in the NCAA tournament. Uh, so I think we might reach that point eventually. But, you know, we're looking at, like, 2025 or something. And, you know, bring it on. I'm, re- I'm ready for it. <laughs> I've, I've been thinking a lot about, the Colts specifically, um, like what those teams were. You know, we talked a little bit about um, during the offseason when we were just kind of like theorizing what the Chiefs might look like. And when when you look at that Colts defense, 
um, and kind of the way that they tried to play complementary football. The offense gets a lead, and then the defense, they always talked about how it was a track meet for the defense, and you had Freeney and Mathis that basically just teed off for the majority of the second half, right? And the Chiefs haven't I – don't, I don't know if they don't have the horses for it or if it's just – that maybe the NFL isn't really built the same way. It obviously isn't because maybe guys are getting the ball out too fast or whatnot. But like, I've been trying to to imagine like the best way for the Chiefs to try to allocate their resources, like while they have Mahomes. And I wonder if like sooner or later. I mean, right now, because they they're fortunate enough to have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Kareem Hunt and Sammy Watkins, like. We don't know how long that lasts, um, and and we don't know like what Mahomes will eventually look like, maybe with potentially lesser talent around him. Um, but like as you start paying Mahomes more, you would think that they're going to end up like shifting some of the the financial commitments to the defensive side of the ball, and I've just been wondering like. Like what? What is that going to end up looking like? And 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 that's just me because I'm always thinking about the future because I never feel like the Chiefs are. I've I've never been like completely satisfied with what they're doing. Um, so I'm always thinking about like how can we get better next year in some way? And I need to figure out a way to just like live in the moment with the Chiefs right now. Uh, well, here's here. Here you go. Hey, let me help you. Shut the hell up, Ryan. Shut uh, the hell up. It's 2018. We're gonna win the Super Bowl this year, so better start enjoying it now. We'll, we'll win the Super Bowl this year if we go get Patrick Peterson. I'll, I'll say that. Well, let, let's talk about this offense. I got, a, I got a few thoughts on just the overall group. Uh, I was kind of thinking just like how perfect of a marriage this really is. Uh, and I was, I was thinking like, so you kind of got three entities right now. You got, you got Mahomes, uh, you got Andy Reid, and then you kind of got like the skill position guys uh, around them. And it's, it's kind of like perfect – uh, it might be the best in the league at all three. Uh, if and if you're talking about like offensive scheme, not not coach because it's still Belichick, still obviously. Uh, but offensive scheme, Reed might be the best in the league. Mahomes at quarterback, he honestly might be the best in the league right now. But um, you know, to, to be de- to be determined. Uh, and then the skill position guys might be the best in the league. Like I think if you take any three of these uh, groupings, these entities and put them with, like, league average talent around them. So say if you took Andy Reid and then put, like, a league average quarterback and a league average offense, I think all three of them would be playoff teams with just league average help around them. Like, each each of the three would be, you know, maybe even, like, a Super Bowl contending team just because each of them is such so good at their job. Like, put Mahomes with average skill position players around them and an average coach. I still think that's a playoff team in the NFL and possibly a championship continuing team. Put this group of skill position players around a league average quarterback and a league average coach. Like I still, I think that's a playoff team. Like I can't believe that we got all of this together at once. It's just uh, incredible to really uh, see all together. Uh, and then do you have anything on that? I got yeah, another so, so let me ask you this because I mean, I, I think that that's uh, the the one that I have the most question about in there is actually Mahomes, um, 
because we haven't seen him outside of this situation, and granted, we haven't really seen these weapons outside of this situation, but like, I mean, Alex Smith, you know, what was different? He didn't he didn't have Sammy Watkins, but like we were still at least hoping that the Chiefs, you know, were a, a Super Bowl contender. And I don't know if a different coach, if you're removing Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid from that situation, like what the offense would end up doing if it was, you know, engineered by Alex Smith. But I mean, I agree with your point that Andy Reid is basically what you're saying is Andy Reid is an elite coach and could with lesser weapons and a lesser quarterback be extremely competitive. And the complement of talent around Patrick Mahomes is so good that with a lesser coach and a lesser quarterback, that it could be one of the best offenses in the league. And I that we've already seen that um, with with uh, Alex Smith and with Mahomes. It's interesting because it's like like think about it this way: um, what would like what would the Bears' offense look like with Mahomes instead of Trubisky? And I say that because at least you have like a a similar coach, but like a very young version of it. And he's got, you know, the, he's from the Andy Reed tree, but I look at Chicago's offense and it's like, I, I like their weapons, but I don't think they're anywhere near the level that the chiefs are at. And, and I don't know how Mahomes would do. Um, and, and, and like, he really is of those three units, even though he's, he's, maybe like we would think like kind of performing the best like is is Mahomes having a better year than his weapons or Andy Reid like that's not a conversation you can really have but I mean I would probably have the most questions about what Mahomes would look like with lesser weapons and a lesser coach than Andy Reid or the weapons in in that same scenario essentially yeah I mean it would be kind of interesting um you know impossible to say really but uh, yeah, I think it'd be good. I, I would, I would bank on a Mahomes team with league average talent around them, you know, making the playoffs. And the Bears, it's, it's kind of hard to use any team as an example because then you're like, well, the Bears got a good defense, and honestly, I think their weapons are kind of above average too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it is really hard to just put them on any team and like see how he does. I mean, put them on the Jets. Patrick Mahomes on the Jets this season. What, what's their record? I, I would say, hang on. Looking at schedule, yeah, all when us nine and seven, no, nine six and one. <laughs> you always got to go for the tie. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know, man. I'm hoping that the, I'm actually like, nope, nope, gotta be, I gotta stay in 2018. Can't talk about Todd Bowles getting fired and being our defensive coordinator next year. Got I have to. I've got to. I've got to stay in the moment. I'm I'm these are the 2018 Chiefs and I'm 2018 Ryan and we're going to stick to that (laughs) um I just I just had a thought because I've been trying to imagine like one of the things that the Chiefs I think uh did a really good job of against Cincinnati was making them one-dimensional and so then I was trying to imagine like what what defense or maybe what coach um, like, how can you make the Chiefs' offense one-dimensional? And when they played Jacksonville, like that—that that defense is, you know, seemingly the best in the NFL. But I think the Chiefs broke them. Like they did—they did something to that team. I mean, I heard that they apparently had a a fight in the locker room, and you know, things are are not. Wait, wait, wait! wait. You heard like you're reporting that they had a, a fight in the locker room. 
No, I'm not reporting it. Like I, Ryan I Scott Hall reporting that Jalen Ramsey and AJ Bouye got in a fist fight in the Jaguars locker room. That's that is interesting. That's interesting. That is not what happened, but they fought Blake Bortles. <laughs> that that is what happened. Yes. <laughs> who, who can no. blame them? The corners did not fight with each other. They fought with Leonard Fournette, and that's why he's not on the field. Um, I, I would not fight Leonard Fournette. <laughs> I would not either. Um, no, I I just like I the one team that because uh, you were talking about like teams that uh, you think could stick with the Chiefs and and it was what the Patriots and the Rams and then potentially the Saints. Um, yeah, and then and then maybe I'll give a shout out to like the Vikings and maybe the Eagles. You know, see, slight. That's why that's, I don't want to include it. It's it's just a it's a respectful like Super Bowl champion uh, invite to the party, but it's a it's a soft invite. It's a non-vitation. Right. Well, I mean, so like, I guess ever since Everson Griffin um, had whatever incident happened or whatever's going on in his personal life that he had to step away from the team. Like Minnesota's really struggled defensively this year. Um, But man, I tell you what, honestly, like I think about Philadelphia, um, not just because of Doug Peterson's familiarity with what Andy Reid likes to do, but I think that their defense is only giving up like 50 rushing yards a game. Like it's, it's extremely low. Um, And that doesn't necessarily mean that it would translate into being able to shut down Kareem Hunt. And I also think, think that their secondary like isn't very good um and so Mahomes might be able to throw the ball all over the yard I don't know I mean it's I don't know I for some reason I'm I'm just I'm trying to imagine like what you know it's sort of the same conversation that Belichick was trying to have of like like pick your poison like what is the thing that you try to choose to shut down and they obviously chose Travis Kelsey but I don't. I don't know what you do against this offense. I mean, has there? Maybe this is hyperbole, but like, has there been a an offense before that was just like, like this overwhelming that teams just like you couldn't do anything? I mean, are are like when you look back at like the the greatest show on turf Rams? I mean, is that is that like the best comparison? Um. Yeah, I mean, no, I think of that late late '90s Vikings team, and I think of that early 2000s Rams team as you know the most dominant. And and yeah, the Colts, the Colts in in you know Peyton's uh, prime in there was was pretty damn daunting. Uh, but those those are the three that come to mind. And and I mean, I don't. It seemed like Belichick had something that he could figure out with with Peyton, right? And so, I mean, ultimately, you assume he's going to get a, a another crack at Mahomes this year, but I, I just, but uh, well, on that, like his his philosophy was to mug the opposing team. It's it's his philosophy for shutting down a, the Peyton Manning Colts was is not legal at all anymore. So it's just like, I mean, I I know he has different wrinkles and he can and he can do things that that work, but I mean. I mean, honestly, the Patriots' defense has been one of the league's worst over the last, you know, five years. Uh, but you know, and Belichick, you know, probably earns them a few extra points by by things he can do, especially in like individual matchups. But I mean, even I mean, look at the Super Bowl last year; they gave up what forty-one points or whatever they gave up. Like it's just against in, in today's NFL with this with this kind of an offense. Like I just don't. You either you have to pressure the quarterback, which can kind of be schemed around. 
if if you're smart about it or you know you're trying to you're hoping for an off day you're hoping for drops and penalties or the quarterback to just have you know an off day like i just don't that's if the chiefs bring it on offense like nobody's nobody's stopping them there's there's nothing that's that's getting in their way uh, it's just they're just going to keep rolling uh, maybe the weather the weather could slow them down a little bit um but but man i guess and, and unforeseen circumstances i guess it's a long season uh, and i've kind of talked about this before but just how the chief seasons have turned before but I'm just saying at this point right now, nothing's slowing down the Chiefs offense. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that like, and, and this is where I, I think kind of Melliger tried to go with his article this week. And it's something that we've like flirted with a little bit. I don't know if we've like really made as, and put as fine a point on it as we've intended to, but like what the offense actually does for the Chiefs defense because the expectations for the defense have, are now like they're just so low. It's it and we talked a little bit last year um you know one of one of my like kind of theories about the team last year was that you know we had been a defensive team um and and that it seemed like so wow like the it's changing. Like the chiefs are becoming an offensive team. The offense is kind of setting the tone, but you still had a guy in Alex Smith that like you, you couldn't fully count on to set the tone every, every single week and, and ultimately in the playoffs, but like where they're at now, instead of trying to play a game where, you know, obviously they want to be efficient offensively, but like it was about the defense forcing turnovers. It was about the defense making plays. Like if, if the defense had a bad game, the Chiefs were most likely going to lose. Um, you had all those the, the the running stat essentially up until last season of Alex Smith if if his defense gives up twenty four points, um, and and you look at it now and like the defense, their responsibility. Like I I know that there's not. It's hard to think about it like in, in a practical sense. Like. They're probably not saying, hey, guys, like, you know, just just keep the opponent under 35 and you're going to be OK. Like, that's not the goal, but they have to, like, be aware that that's kind of what the expectation is. Like, things have just changed so much because of how good the offense is that, like, I look at the defense and it's like they shouldn't really feel any stress whatsoever. They should be able to play really loose and, and pretty carefree out there just knowing how good the offense is and the offense is running the show. And, like, you know, I, I think that the way Mellinger broke it down in his article was, like, why don't we just look at, like, in each game, you know, the combination of, like, turnovers and, and like, punts, essentially. Like, can you keep the other team from scoring on you five times in a game? like five total stops, you know, and that's not asking a lot of a defense, but I think that that was kind of like where he settled. And, and it's, that's, I think, honestly, maybe the most powerful thing about this offense. It's not just that they put up points. It's that they really empower the defense to be able to play without much stress on them at all. Even for a unit that is so maligned, you know, and, and all the questions and the frustrations that we've had about the roster construction or about the coaching or about the on-field execution, like it still hasn't really mattered. Um, and that has to be a, a pretty good feeling for as a defensive player for the Chiefs 
Right? Right. Thanks for the affirmation. Sure. <laughs> I mean, do you, you have anything on that? No, not really. I, no, it's good points. Um, last couple of things I had on the offense here. Uh, we talked about their yardage, 551 yards uh, in the game on only nine offensive drives. Uh, that is 62 yards per drive, and that includes a two-yard drive where Mahomes threw an interception. So if Mahomes just puts out that pass for Tyreek, uh, gives him enough room to run under it, I mean, we're looking at like an offense that would have averaged 80 yards per drive on Sunday. Uh, so just, just another amazing stat. And then one thing I was really focused on watching these highlights from the game is just all the yak that the Chiefs get. They're very, very yakky. So I was trying to find some stats on it. This isn't quite deep dive worthy, um, but just just some just a fun look at it. But they are second in uh, in yard and yak on the season. Uh, and then just, I mean, I'm, really, I'm just looking at the components. So I guess these aren't really stats, but I mean, Kareem Hunt he leads the league in broken tackles right now. So you got to try and tackle him with the ball in his hands. Tyreek Hill is the fastest man on on earth. So you know you have to try and tackle that after he gets the ball in his hands. We had a fun little play where he just like. Catches the ball on a third and eight, you know, jumps back like four yards just to avoid a tackle, you know, then sprints around the edge. Doesn't gain any extra yards, just just to the delight of himself and, and the crowd. Like, look at that. That, that was fun. Uh, so you got that. Then you got Sammy Watkins, who's a receiver who, who looks like a running back with the ball in his hands. And then once you get past all of that, you got Travis Kelsey, who actually leads the team in yak. And he's just so big and so fast that, you know, you know, Good luck. I mean, he's just he's a, a mismatch for everybody on the field. So every single person that Mahomes can hit with a pass here, I mean, not only is the scheme great, not only is Mahomes great, now you get these people, all these receivers catching the pass and hardly ever going down by the first man. It's just it's just another element of the offense that's uh, we should be marveling at every week. It's beautiful. Kelsey has this head fake. He, he did it against Cincinnati at one point where it's like he does this little comeback or – and and shifts his whole body and his head fake with his back to the defense one way and then spins the up opposite way. And, like, I don't know who he did that to. I just want to say it was perfect because perfect got, like, trucked and thrown around and, and he they really just put a clown suit on Vontez perfect all night. And I, by they, I mostly mean Kareem Hunt, but I would hope that that was Travis Kelsey doing that too just because suck it, Vontez. You friggin' can jerk. You, can you imagine being Vontez Perfect and just being like, I mean, he's wired like a, you know, a 1970s NFL defender. And, you know, he, he probably thinks that he's going out there and doing his job. And he just, I mean, he keeps getting fined. People keep yelling at him and, and all this stuff. And he's just like, I, I'm sure he just cannot wrap his mind around it. Like, this is what I'm, I've been, I've been built to be this for, you know, however, 28 years of his life. I've been built to to do exactly this, and now every time that I do anything close to this, you tell me that I'm I'm, I'm dirty and, and you know I, I get fined a hundred thousand dollars. It's just I can't imagine where his mind's. He's he's I, he can't be playing football with like a clear mind. Is is my uh, overall point? Like like he's just like I don't I don't know what to do out here. What do I what do I do on the football field now? He's he's pointless. I I mean. He's not playing with a clear mind because of all the concussions that he's had because of the way that he plays. 
Um, that's a, that's a, it's just coming full circle for him. Um, all right. So before we like do a full hard transition into the defense, we got to do Sammy watch. <laughs> Kins. That was a full, uh, full I, think you, uh, I did it <laughs> wrong. Sammy watch. There you go. Hopkins. All right. So this week, week seven of Sammy Watchkins. Oh, boy. I wanted to ask you about the, I'm guessing it's technically considered a drop. I never got a good angle on this play. Um, what happened on the ball that he dropped that Mahomes had made like this sort of phenomenal pass and put it in this weird spot and Sammy had to like kind of slide feet for in this like awkward weird way and then he didn't he didn't come down with it do you know what play I'm talking about oh yeah I do uh I mean it was it was a third and 17 first off and Mahomes was rolling out and put kind of put it uh Watkins was kind of behind his defender so he kind of back shouldered to him in the middle of the field and kind of put it where only Sammy could get it it was a perfect pass uh and it just kind of it's you know, Sammy slid for it and it was on his hip and he just dropped it. I mean, it was, it was definitely down. Okay. So he did, he did drop it. Definitely. Didn't they like rule it a catch and then it got yeah. reviewed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I never felt like I got a good angle, but, but um, there was multiple times inside the stadium that they weren't showing the replay in the stadium. And I think I remember that the NFL like made a point of that. Like, no, no, you guys, you can't see it. Cause we don't want you to cheer or boo until we've made a decision based on something that you're seeing inside the stadium. Um, I, I remember Sammy um, catching a ball and then, so I believe it was like the first play of the second half on the deep ball, but he, he caught it and then kind of like hopped backwards and did that stiff arm. And I remember like the crowd audible like oh like there was there was ooze and ahs in the crowd on that play from sammy watchkins um i just i like the stiff arm and he he really showed some attitude afterward um and and he ended up like kind of on the sideline like running uh running out the play on the sideline and just like he just he looked kind of jacked up more than he normally does. And we had talked a little bit about body language. And I think Sammy's body language is improving. That's what I would say. Well, we do have to criticize him. He didn't take part in the in the team dance. Uh, he was he was too cool to dance with the team. So I didn't notice. that's a knock. Uh, but really, I mean, I got no thoughts on Sammy Watkins other than similar to how the Chiefs have broken their uh, opponents recently, like the Broncos and the Jaguars, I think I have broken your ability to do the Sammy Watchkins correctly because I, I don't think you've done it correct once. <laughs> I mean, I, I know I know how to do it. I'm just fun, um, I do I do also want to point out. Um, I don't know if everybody or anybody caught it this past week. Um, I didn't really see anyone talking about it, but uh, Lynn Worthy, one of the new guys at the Star, um, that that's working on the Chiefs beat, he wrote an article about Sammy this week um, and, and basically said he was asking him questions about like the difference between 
being in Buffalo and and then ultimately LA and and now in Kansas City. And he even he had a great quote from Doug Marone talking about like the type of guy that Sammy Watkins is. Um, but Sammy talked a lot about his maturity and like when he got drafted fourth overall and went to Buffalo, that he was just like, I have to get a thousand yards. And you know, it's it's all about stats and playing for a team like Buffalo that really, I mean, they, they just weren't very good. Ultimately, I guess Sammy came out in the media and was like, I need 10 targets a game. I don't remember that happening, but apparently that happened. Um, was was pretty much demanding the ball. He said, throw me the damn ball. Shout out Keyshawn Johnson. Um, wow. and, then, and then he gets traded to the Rams, and he said that last year was kind of like, he said that it was sort of good preparation for him for being in this offense. Um, and it helped him to just kind of transition out of like, I have to do everything myself, but yet I'm dependent on my quarterback to give me the ball. Um, because he's like, right now it's like, if, if anyone around me is succeeding, then I am succeeding. And, and I don't, I wonder, I don't know if that level of comfort comes from a three year, $48 million contract um, or if it does just come with maturity, because we have to keep in mind that this guy's, I don't even know if he's 25 years old yet. He's still super young. Um, but that was kind of enlightening to see that at least inside of that article and in the quotes that he had and kind of the anecdotes that Lynn Worthy brought to the table that Sammy said that his mentality had changed a lot from when he first got in the league. And he sounds like he's perfectly happy to collect his paycheck and be the highest paid uh, diversion in the NFL. So that's good. He's settled into that role very well here in Kansas City. Yeah, he's like, I don't have to do shit now. I don't, right. I don't, I don't put up stats. <laughs> um, before, actually, the last thing before we go to the defensive side of the ball, um, you and I were on opposite sides of this. Um, I feel like we need to do the Oklahoma drill. Um, Pat Mahomes with the fist pumping. The fist pumping during Sweet Caroline. Um, oh, so, so I hate that song. And and in the stands. Well, but it's I hate it too. The debate's still and dumb. <laughs> I just thought it was really fun to see. Because there it was like the stadium crowd was supposed to pick the song that gets played in the fourth quarter. And and that was the song that got chosen. And so it was a weird crowd. It was and a weak so, crowd on from there. <laughs> um, I hate that song. I hate that stupid song. I was like, no, that's not the song that we want to hear. Like, of course not. This isn't Boston. Like, why? Why? Um, but the it, the camera's kind of like panning the crowd throughout the song, showing people singing and dancing. And then it went to Mahomes. It was like they prompted him to do it, not like he would have done it on his own. Um, but then when he did the bump, I loved it. I love. He was into it. He's having fun. Alex Smith never would have done it, and and that's because you know he's not a millennial, and millennials like to have fun. Yeah, I'm a little bit older, and fun is vastly <laughs> overrated. Um, I cannot. Yeah, I don't. I don't like like the white guy sing along songs. You know, Sweet Home Alabama and. Oh, I hate uh, that know. Journey song. Get that song out of here. Yeah, that is drunk white people at the bar. That's the one I was trying to think of. That's that's that one's number one on the hit list. You know, Hotel California. 
Uh, you know, all this kind of shit. It just, it can't, I can't take that. I'm, I can't either. Um, all right. So let's, let's talk about the defense because I, I think. Well, hang on, that- hang on. We got, we got something important to get to before we get to the defense. We've got an ethics debate here. Okay. Uh, this, is, this is something we debated throughout the night. Uh, I want to share it with our listeners so that they can, you know, give their two cents. You know, go ahead and tweet us in. This is kind of a sensitive t- topic. So, um, you know, you know, treat it, you know, respectfully. We'll do the best we can. So we're out there tailgating all day. I, I slam probably five, six beers. Uh, Ryan made a delicious meatball sandwich. Um, it was, it was good. I gobbled it up, ate some other, some other goodies that we had at the tailgate, lots of pretzels. Uh, but you know, things were, things were going, things were moving inside old, old uncle Dirk's body here. Uh, so we get up to our seats. We sat next to a nice, sweet girl. Didn't catch her name. Uh, but, but one thing she refused to do during this game was stand. So she's kind of sitting there the whole time. Uh, we spent a good majority of the game standing, I'll say. Uh, and, and you know what? God dang it. I just I couldn't stop farting. And you know, her face was right next to, to you know, where that's, the flatulence is, is being released. Uh, and, you know, I kept feeling bad about having to fart on this poor girl who wouldn't stand up. Uh, and you know, I was I was asking you all night, like, do I gotta do I gotta cork this? Do I gotta cork this, or what's the uh, proper procedure here? Um, and you know what? I never did. I just I let it fly because that's the team motto. Uh, I wanted to be you know one of the team, and uh, yeah, so that's how that played out. She probably left early third quarter. Uh, never said anything. Not sure if that factored into that decision or not. Uh, but yeah, I would just love to get some feedback from people of what I'm supposed to do at that point. Because you know what? If you hold it in, it's really bad for your system. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit older now, not trying to have anything, you know, backed up in here. You know, I gotta, I gotta let things loose as they come. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to look out for me, number one, uh, everybody else, number two. Uh, and you know, if that means, you know, I gotta fart on some people's faces, that's fine. Uh, so just, Wanted to get your thoughts. Wanted to get uh, everybody's thoughts from this week. Uh, just just send me a tweet. Let me know what you think. Let me know what I should have done and how shitty of a person I am for, for letting, this, letting this happen. Um, I love, like, all of, all of the, like, poop words that you ended up using in there because you said that you got to put you number one and everybody else number two and let me know what sh- what kind of a shitty person I am. <laughs> um, no, I, so like what I, I met, what I was thinking as you were talking about it was uh, Tyler Durden. And he's like, and now a question of etiquette as I pass, do I give you the ass or the crotch? <laughs> um, and, and so then I was imagining like, if, if Dirk wanted to be a little bit more, um, I don't know, considerate of, of our, our neighbor there, um, it would have been like how many circles or, or semicircles would you have had to do to like fart toward the backs of the people in front of us? And it would just be like, Hey, what are you doing? I just shake it out the press box. I keep trying to spot Mellinger in there and I, I don't have a very good angle, but I'm, I'm trying, I'm <laughs> determined to see if I can, can spot Adam Teicher um, or, or Joel Thorman up there. I wonder, I don't know. I don't I'm just, you know, just stretching, just, just spinning around a little bit. 
Exactly. My options were limited. They were very limited at that point. When you when you said that this was uh, like an ethical debate, I was actually wondering if you were going to discuss me giving you a hard time for not trying to bring the attractive girl that you apparently talked to in line to our seats so that you could introduce her to me. You were saying you're like <laughs> you're like, hey, I, I bumped into this girl and we talked, you know, the whole time I was standing in line trying to get a beer. And and you're like, she's she's pretty hot. And I was like, well, I mean, I'm sitting right here. Like, what where is she? Um, and and you're like, what I'm you thought I was gonna be like, actually, I have this friend um at our seats. Do you want do you want to come to our seats or we're in the handicap row. We have more leg room. Uh, <laughs> I thought that's where we were. Another ethical debate. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have any control. We just bought some seats. No, uh, I mean the, the amateur Hawaiian shirt uh, that brings all the uh, that brings all the girls to the yard. That's all I can say about that. I every time I've worn that, um, I've had. It's like you end up having so many conversations. Um, when I wore it to the Eagles game last year. This guy, I was peeing, and this guy was like, dude, that shirt, it's so good. I was like, Th- thanks. And he's like, he's like, I- I'm a producer for Tech Nine. I gotta get him one of those. And and like he gave me his number and like I even tried to follow up with him and nothing nothing ever came of it. But like Damn it. there's but there's all like it it's like any it, people just come up and they're like, I mean, how many people Every time you wear that shirt, you're it's at least like 15 to 20 times that you're stopped in line or at your seat. And people are just like, I need to tell you that that shirt is amazing. It's good. It is. It's, it's, good it's, at, least, it's at least 10 people every game. And at first I tried to, you know, like, hey, you can go to this website and buy them. Like, look at this. It's really cool. And then uh, I suddenly realized that nobody was actually buying them. And it's just it's just something, you know, you want to get drunk and look at and, hey, look at that shirt because it's fucking awesome. It's, it is a fucking awesome shirt. And it's uh, as bright as can be out there. So it's uh, it's, it's becoming my calling card out at Arrowhead, which I which I like. Um, so people can, you know, recognize me and I can feel famous for, you know, a couple hours. Uh, but, yeah, it is every single game that they, you know, pointed out. Like, damn, awesome shirt. <laughs> Yeah, we had we had a couple people uh, come by. We, Jimmy Adams came by the tailgate. It was good to good to meet Jimmy. I know you and him have, have done quite a bit of work together over the years with his uh, photoshopping abilities. Um, but I mean, he he obviously came through in the clutch for me, hooking it up with that tie dye that I was looking for, um, and then some other guy. I don't, I didn't catch his name, but he had some had, other guy. He he had had a few and was like. You fucking guys, you and your podcasts. <laughs> it's just like you're like, oh, okay. You're like people do recognize you in public. It's like, thank you. Um, all right, defense. It's time to talk about the defense. The defense that held the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't count the last drive in which they allowed 54 yards to the backups. I'm going to count the 183 total yards that they allowed to the Bengals. My perhaps favorite stat that came out of it this week, and once again, yes, I'm leaning very heavily on our friendly local neighborhood columnist, Samuel Mellinger. And Sam says, 
that the Chiefs gave up fewer yards to Cincinnati, and and that includes the extra 54 um, this game, than they had in four different halves this year. Um, that's that's a, a really, really fun little nugget. I, I think that my my other like the other competing stat in here is that Cincinnati's lone touchdown drive was the one that had both of the 12 men on the field penalties. Like the only time that they actually went down and, and scored a touchdown, it took two penalties for having two guys or I guess a, a one extra guy on the field both times. Like Cincinnati hey, is just Ryan, 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 I got a joke. I got a joke. Are you ready? Uh-huh. They're putting 12 guys out there. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, I got this, I got this. The Chiefs are putting 12 guys out on defense because that's the only way they can stop them. Huh? 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 That's the joke. <laughs> <laughs> like, be, seeing you do that and you're kind of, uh, I was just like, waka, waka, waka. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I didn't know how else to react to that. Um, I, I also, I like the defense just had some really fun moments for me. Um, obviously very liberating, uh, being one of the, the few Captain Ron Parker supporters left in chief's kingdom, um, for him to get that pick six and then getting the great tweet from one of my favorite football players of all time, Ocho Cinco, Chad Johnson, former Bengal. That was very unsportsmanlike by Rod Parker. He could have taken a knee. No need to score in that situation. The need needs to. The league needs to look into this matter because kids are watching. Um, that was because it, it put it from what it was like twenty. He, I don't know. That put him up thirty-eight to seven or something. It was. It. it they, we were killing him. Um, I do want to at least like you know have a a, a little bit of self awareness inside of this Ron Parker discussion, though, and recognize that after he had the pick six, uh, the ensuing Cincinnati possession on the first play, he takes an absolutely terrible angle and allows them to gain like like 20 yards on the next play. Like, I get it, folks. I get it. But I still love Ron Parker, and I will get up to bat for him every single week. Um, like, that guy's my, my champion of Bob Sutton's defense. He's sticking it out, and he loves Bob Sutton. You got to defend him on that play, man. He was tired. He was tired. He, was. he just run. He was. He just, I mean, he had, it's thirty-eight seven. He don't give a fuck. He just scored a touchdown. Thinking about his daughter. He don't care about tackling Joe Mixon. He don't give a shit. No, he's thinking uh, but, about Ryan Scott Hall. He was like, "This is for you, bud. I hear you. I've been listening to Amateur Hour. I heard that really impassioned plea for me having to cover up all of the faults on this defense. I'm the only veteran in this entire secondary. I'm the only one that knows how to do this. Yeah. I don't get that touchdown for you, RSH. He signed the ball. It's coming in the mail. He DM'd me. Got that from Ghost 08 something. I don't know what all the numbers are. What is it? Thank you, bless Lord, or something like that. His tweet every single day. Uh, Something like that, yeah. He loves he had like We both do. He had like 30 of the same tweets in a row until uh, Earl Thomas got hurt. And I go, fuck. Oh. That, was, that was the only breakup in like, the, in like a 30 tweet uh, string. Uh, but let's, just, let's begin some discussion with the safeties. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. Eric Murray back for his first game uh, playing the third safety role. So we had Lucas who got promoted up to starting safety, which I think a lot of people 
uh, were happy to see. And then we had Ron Parker next to him playing, you know, every snap with him. And then Eric Murray is the third safety. Do you think, uh, do you think that was uh, because it was Murray's first game back? Or do you think Murray eventually slides into that second safety? Or how do you think the safety rotation plays back or plays out? And then, you know, you could throw in Daniel Sorensen for where he should be coming back here soon. Um, I mean, okay, so let's let's think about it in terms of at least like what we think guys are good at, right? Um, so when I look at like Murray specifically, it's a guy that played outside corner um, and was was pretty adept at it uh, at at the University of Minnesota, um, and so they've been transitioning him to safety, and honestly, like. I mean, I come. I, I kept saying that he was going to be Eric Berry's replacement because it was the the Eric Murray versus Eric Berry, but um, that that he's not the same type of player at all. He actually, to me, reminds me a lot of Ron Parker. Just this guy that like he can play corner if you need him to, and as a safety, you ask him to play man coverage um, in a lot of different situations. But like generally speaking, it seems like the way that they've been using him, my perception of it is that Eric Murray is kind of like a matchup safety. Like it's not that he's necessarily really good at center field or really good in the box. Like I, I think it's more about like we can use him to cover guys um, in man coverage a lot. Yeah, and specifically tight ends. I mean, yeah, he could he could jump down in the slot if necessary. But really, I think if I had to give him one strength on it, it would be a, a tight end stopper. Yeah, and and I mean, I don't I stopper might be like a little bit generous right now, um, but I guess that maybe depends on like who we're talking about. And there aren't a lot of great tight ends in the league, but I mean, we saw. I mean, who knows how it'll play out this year because the team is in, like, absolute free fall. But, like, I mean, didn't Jared Cook, like, wasn't he, like, a huge problem for us last year? Um, and, and he's had, you know, really big games for the Raiders this year, too. Um, but, I mean, obviously, like, I don't want Eric Murray playing man coverage on Gronk any more than I wanted Josh Shaw doing that at the end of the game. Um, some people are just going to be a, a real matchup nightmare for him, but that's kind of the nature of the tight end position too. Um, with Ron Parker, I mean, he, so here's the thing, like if the chiefs had the full complement of guys, if they didn't have the Eric Berry and the Daniel Sorensen injuries, and it was Barry and Sorensen and Murray and Jordan Lucas, um, they, they, wouldn't have signed Ron Parker. Like he wouldn't even be here. Um, and, and so I think that if Barry and Sorensen do come back and they're healthy, um, Parker is then essentially just a guy that you can use if you need to, but I think he's only there for depth. Like they're not going to cut him. I can't see that. I mean, maybe, but like, he's just, he's such a veteran. He's making so little money that like, I think they would probably get rid of Josh Shaw like in order to activate some of those guys. Um, well, yeah, I think I think Josh Shaw will go when Sorensen comes back. Uh, and then if Barry were to come back, that might be the end for Ron Parker because, I mean, you're going to need special team snaps out of someone. And I guess maybe Lucas and Murray just fall back into that role. But, you know, I think Ron's probably a guy that they want around 
uh, in the locker room and kind of knows the defense better than anyone. And he's almost kind of like a, uh, a a second coach out there for for people. Is what I would put his biggest strength at. Yeah, and and it's just like I think that even even like if Barry came back, like everyone would still probably be so nervous about like how long Eric Barry would last. That getting rid of Ron Parker. I mean, you don't want it to turn into a CJ Spiller situation where you're signing and cutting him, you know, each and every week, essentially. Um, Why not? We didn't have fun with the CJ Spiller situation. <clears throat> I mean, we did. Uh, I don't. I don't know if if the Chiefs actually did. Uh, CJ Spiller certainly didn't. Um, well, uh, so he's having more fun just sitting at home the whole year this year. Uh, probably, yeah. Is he on a team? I'm doubting he's on a team. No, I don't think he even went to training camp with anybody. Um, so I think the important person um, in this conversation is Jordan Lucas. Um, I don't – what we know about Jordan Lucas I think is still very little at this point uh, because of the sample size. But generally speaking, um, I like Jordan Lucas a lot. And yeah. – um, I don't like. I don't know exactly what their plan is. I mean, your original point was that he started over Murray, and I think that it was probably because it was Murray's first game back. But I also think Jordan Lucas is like. I would say it would be interesting, um, like over a full season, to see what like how they compare. But like Jordan Lucas might be in terms of raw talent and ability the second best option that the chiefs have at safety outside of Eric Berry. Like, like if, if, if everyone's healthy and they like, they can go out and do the things that they're supposed to be able to do. Like I wouldn't, I would not be shocked if Jordan Lucas would start next to Eric Berry, you know, say, and, and, and the other, the other person in that to me is Sorensen. Um, and I don't know if I want Sorensen like being a starting safety. He did like I think there's he's more of a situational player the way that Murray is because then you're talking about having Barry and Lucas that I think can both do a lot of things, um, and then having Sorensen be in a specific role and Murray be in a specific role because I don't know if and and they're way smarter minds than mine uh, when it comes to trying to evaluate that. But like, doesn't it seem like there's not really a role? For Jordan Lucas, it's that they just like the way that he plays, right? Yeah, I think, well, I think that's been the best, the good thing about Jordan Lucas is that he's kind of uh, brought some versatility because I, I, I feel like we've seen him play well uh, in the single high role and we've seen him play well in the box. Uh, and he's maybe, you know, one of the few safeties on our team right now that can say that. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's been a um, an absolute surprise. Um uh, and it's been great, but yeah, the versatility where where he can do multiple things. That's why I mean, man, when we get all these safeties back, it's just like I don't even know exactly how to use them and maybe use different ones for different situations. But uh, I, I feel like I, I think Eric Murray gets a bad rap. I kind of feel like he's been the best safety this year, but even he doesn't have the versatility that Jordan Lucas has shown so far. Uh, so I mean, with all these guys, like I, I mean, I, I don't get the. Uh, uh, you know, the want to bring in another safety. Like, I feel like we have enough as is. I think people, just, I guess, want to see Ron Parker off the field. Uh, but I feel like that might just happen naturally by these other uh, players that we've developed and other players coming off the, uh, uh, you know, injury list here. Uh, but I think I would go with like a, I do like Florence in that third safety role. So I think I'd, honestly, I think I'd push Ron Parker off and I'd start Eric Murray 
and Jordan Lucas, and then bring in Daniel Sorensen as the third safety. And maybe that gets into a little bit of trouble because I don't know if you want Murray or Sorensen playing single high. Um, and, you know, Parker's had more experience doing it, and I, I, but he hasn't done that good of a job. Uh, so I think that's where we are most limited at this point is, is which of the safeties can play single high. And of the uh, non-injured players right now, I think the best answer is Jordan Lucas. And, and I, I completely agree with that. And, like, that's where the Chiefs saw, you know, a deficiency as far as talent was concerned and, and wanted to pursue Earl Thomas. Um, and that's why I, I really don't understand people, you know, clamoring for a guy like Landon Collins because he's a, he's, he is a glorified linebacker. Like, he's, he, he is a box safety um and and it seems like we have a number of guys that are better at that than than at playing at the back of the defense um and to me it's like i guess i look at the safety position and yeah we we obviously have um a, a totally unknown uh w- with eric berry um there's a potential to get sorensen back but i look at like beyond this season and you still have another year or two of Murray. Um, you know, you'll you'll get Armani Watts back. You really like what you have in Lucas, um, but Sorensen is still under contract. And whether Barry again, he's like he's such a question mark. But the guy's got four more years on a very lucrative contract, so they're going to do everything in their power to keep him. Like, there's a lot of of resources that have been allocated to the safety position, and despite the fact that. Some of these guys have been hurt, um, and and you don't like, and there are some unknowns there. They have sunk way more like time and energy into the safety position than they have at corner at this point. Um, and and one of the interesting things here too is that a guy like Josh Shaw, who they were able to sign off the street, like Josh Shaw, even though I think people's maybe his his memory. Um, that Chiefs fans will have. Like, I don't know if he's ever going to be remembered for anything other than that Gronk play, um, just because I don't know how long he's going to be on the team and how many opportunities he's actually going to get. But, like, if the Chiefs right now, if Eric Murray had to go down for an extended period of time before Sorensen or Barry was ready, like, I feel way more confident about watching Josh Shaw play football than I do about Tremont Smith or Charvarius Ward. You know, this is this is a guy that was drafted much earlier and like has proven to be a professional and a guy that can come out and make plays. Um, it 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 is though. I I think it's a it's a good point though that like that Jordan Lucas seems like the guy that like should should be on the field the most. Like he should be playing the most snaps, um, kind of regardless of of whether Murray's fully healthy or not. I do think you'll probably see a lot more Murray, um, you know, this Sunday against Denver, uh, certainly than you did against Cincinnati, just because I think he's going to be eased back into the lineup. They've just been dealing with so many injuries that they kind of have to be careful with with their assets, right? So do you think Murray takes a full-time role and Parker drops to the third safety? Um, so, so, like, I think that it's – and, and – this is where I don't know about Ron Parker's value because he knows the defense so well um, that like, even if Ron Parker takes a bad angle, um, it's, it might be more about him being able to answer any questions that guys have on the fly 
and trying to help guys get lined up in the right position or whatever. Like, I don't know how much of that happens on the field, but Ron Parker has to know that defense inside and out way more than than any other guy that's on the field. I mean, and and the only people that could technically like compete with him for that, you would think, are Justin Houston and Eric Berry, who are not on the field. So, I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm not totally sure what Ron Parker's like like real quantifiable value is for the Chiefs because so much of what Ron Parker brings to the table is intangible. It's not necessarily, you know, how he plays on the field. It's all these things that like we don't we don't know what his contribution can be as as a leader and and as somebody that can help out all these young guys. Um one guy that uh, I, I mean, just really exploded onto the scene uh, on, on Sunday night. Someone that I think everybody had been begging to see was Dorian O'Daniel. Um, and, I mean, he got to see the field on a couple plays before the Terrence Smith injury. Um, and then once Terrence Smith went down, it was a lot of Dorian O'Daniel. Um and and I I think that like the the lasting memory for me of of Dorian O'Daniel's performance was after one of the plays where he pursued uh, the running back toward the sideline and and I don't know if it was the one where he really popped Mixon but we were both kind of watching him and it was like scraping and and then. Uh, you know, kind of turning on the jets and making this play and he pops up and like stares at the chief sideline. Um, and some of that is just hype and being in the moment and what, but like it, I looked at that and, and said like, this guy is, is really trying to make his, make a case. And I think the interesting thing for me with O'Daniel is that, you know, last week out of frustration, I was basically just like, why the hell isn't he on the field? Like, what would we be asking him to do? Play man coverage on a running back. Like, that's just just be out there in what seems like an obvious passing situation. And if the running back stays in the block, then it's either stay in the shallow zone or try to go get the quarterback. Like, make his responsibilities really limited. It doesn't have to be rocket science. It's out there because of his speed and his ability to cover running backs and that's like exactly what he did on Sunday night. Um, and so it was, it, it felt like a little bit validating to just be like, can't we just put him on the field? Um, but I think mostly it was just because he played well. Um, if he hadn't played well, then I, I wouldn't feel as good as I do right now. Yeah. I mean, if you watched him, he was, he was like literally just, you know, straight across from the running back and just only staring at the running back. Like you could, you could easily tell before the play, like he is manned up on the running back, uh, which, you know, works for, for small stretches and it works to get a good look at him, but you don't want to be doing that every play kind of thing. So that's, that's why it, you kind of question like, can he replace Ragland? Uh, and, and I guess Ragland isn't playing full time. He's not playing every snap. He's kind of playing 50% of the snaps or so. Um, so, I mean, it kind of tips your hand, what you're doing defensively, if he's out there that much, uh, but he did look, I mean, he looked fantastic. Uh, and it, But this wasn't the first time he was playing. I think a lot of people were excited to see him. Uh, and he did get in even before Terrence Smith got hurt. But it wasn't the first snaps he's played this season. I mean, he's played actual defensive snaps for us this year. Like so 12 of them. 
Yeah, yeah, not a lot, but I mean a little bit. I mean, he didn't get – I mean, it was a blowout on Sunday, so it was easier to get him more snaps, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, one of the bigger developments of the last few weeks is that we might have players in Dorian O'Daniel and Jordan Lucas for a defense that, you know, desperately needs uh, players to step up. Like, we need – we talked about how we just don't have enough of these uh, B-level players. Like, we kind of got stars, even though they're all hurt right now or, uh, or shipped off to somewhere else. Uh, but but we need some of these B guys to step up, and we're kind of seeing that now with uh, with these two, uh, just guys that not really expected to contribute too much this year, and now you know we might have something there. They might be able to contribute as early as this season. And O'Daniel does what a lot of of what we've talked about, like with the safeties. I mean, O'Daniel is. Um, a move linebacker is the way that I would describe him. Like his responsibility, what he's going to be asked to do is be able to match up with running backs and with tight ends occasionally, but be that guy that can run around and use your athleticism instead of you have to, you know, use your brute strength to fight through blocks and go make a big tackle the way that Reggie Ragland does. Like Dorian O'Daniel has to be able to duck around guys and play similar to Derek Johnson. And even Derek Johnson, like, dwarfs Dorian O'Daniel in size. He was 240 and, like, 6'3 or 6'4. I mean, Dorian O'Daniel's probably playing at, like, 210. Um, like, he he's built like a defensive back. Um, the, the thing with him, I think, I found it really strange that they – I mean, it, it took an injury, essentially, to Terrence Smith in order to get him on the field. And then you saw how effective he was, and it's just like – man, how nice would it have been to actually watch him do this against, like, James White, considering the fact that that's, like, exactly what Dorian O'Daniel should be doing on the field. Um, I don't know. Well, well, Ryan, I got news for you. We're saving that for the playoffs. Yeah, there you go. That I mean, that works for me. Um, I do think it is a really big development, though, being able to see some of these guys um, and, and get them reps. And honestly, like, that's, to me – um, obviously, I'm a little bit biased, but like that's one of the biggest disappointments about Armani Watts going down for the year is just not being able to get them these valuable reps in all of these games where you were like you were kind of making the joke that like you don't even really want the Chiefs offense to go back out there. Just punt on first down and use the rest of this time to give the defense snaps like I mean, that's where the value is right now. Right. I mean. Can you like that's full Andy Reid shutdown mode? No, you can't even see what the offense is capable of doing. We're only going to play the first halves of games and then let our defense get better and better and better. Um, but the unfortunate thing, <laughs> the unfortunate thing is that we already have so many injuries defensively that if you truly had to put them on the field for that many snaps, like we, I mean, we wouldn't last. We wouldn't last. <laughs> If Andy Reid punts on a first down this year, put him put him in the Hall of Fame. Just do it. Put him in there immediately. Um, I uh, people seem to think um, that that Breland speaks is looking a little bit better. Um, I feel like people are kind of slowly gravitating towards like, okay, did this thing. Um. The one thing that I'm still really confused on, and this is something that I really liked from O'Daniel, um, Veach spent a lot of time, maybe not a lot of time, that's an exaggeration, but like Veach publicly talked about uh, mentality on defense and wanting to add guys that had an attitude, um, essentially having like, like a stopper 
um, because you you watch like what was happening against uh, Pittsburgh in the playoffs and then what was happening against Tennessee in the playoffs. And he's like, we, we basically just need some dogs, like guys that are willing to fight and say like, no, we got to put a stop to this right now. Um, and we saw at least uh, in the first few games, Anthony Hitchens had some pop to his game. Um, and I don't, I don't feel like we've seen that the last few weeks. I don't know if that's based on injury or what. Um, every once in a while, Reggie Ragland makes a play, and he's he's usually a big hitter. He had a, a nice one against Cincinnati. Um, but O'Daniel, man, like he showed some some real attitude. Like the the first play that I remember, like really seeing him, he got chippy after the play. Um, he was running out to to cover Mixon, and he threw it to Mixon, and Mixon dropped the ball, and O'Daniel was like right there and would have lit him up, and he kind of popped him. And then Mixon like came try to you know kind of lunge after him like why are you hitting me after the whistle or after I've dropped the ball or whatever, and O'Daniel's just like shaking his head just like yep I mean I'm I'm here to play, um, and that's the thing that I think I found really confusing about Speaks is that like Veach talked so much about his attitude and um, he got kicked out of like I think he got suspended multiple times while he was at uh, at. Uh, Ole Miss, I guess. I think that's where he played. Um, for unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, and like I just haven't seen much of an edge to him at all, and that is a double entendre. Yeah, you know, you know who we should trade for? Vontez Perfect. <laughs> I mean, he's right up your your incognito alley that you've been, been on for the last 12 months. You want every psychotic football player to be on your team. That face that you're making right now is terrifying. <laughs> it's my Richie Incognito face. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> uh, no. no. Ryan's rattled. He's rattled. I am rattled. I'm intimidated. What do you say? Should we wrap this up before two hours again? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, well, the Chiefs do play uh the denver broncos on sunday at noon at arrowhead stadium uh denver was the first team to really kind of like rattle the chiefs a little bit and make it a game and it took some mahomes magic on monday night in order to get there um does denver make it a game on sunday you know i can't even count as high as as the chiefs are going to score on sunday uh it's going to be above my pay grade i'll say that uh, but no, actually, uh, that is an interesting – I think they have had the most success against the Chiefs' offense of any defense so far, and now they get their second look. Uh, so we kind of get to test this theory of getting some tape on a guy and see if it helps out a little bit. Um, but honestly, I think you know I think the Broncos treated that game like it was their Super Bowl and they were super hyped for it. Uh, and I guess they kind of rebounded last week against Arizona, so they're not – it's not like a total train wreck for them right now, but uh, I'm expecting the Chiefs to, uh, you know – jump on them and put them away early and I'll be snoozing by the second quarter again. It'll be interesting because I think that like Belichick did things that, that forced some problems by Mahomes. Like it was a schematic thing. And I don't think that that's what happened with Denver. Like, I think that Denver like let their players try to, you know, take over I guess like I think I I don't I don't think that there was some great schematic thing that Al Woods and um, whatever their head coach's name is 
Um, I, I don't I don't think they put something together necessarily. It was more about pressuring Mahomes and being his first primetime game and some of those things. Am, am I misremembering? Well, no, I think I was just going to add to that. I think uh, Mahomes' numbers right now are, are super high against zone defenses and not quite as high against man defenses. And I think Denver is probably one of the uh, more man-heavy teams in the league. So they just uh, – it's, it's kind of funny that that's a complete 180 from the Chiefs with Alex Smith, but uh, uh, that's that's where they're at. And, and that, I think it's just that just speaks to their arm talent. Like in the zone, like you need to just fit it. I uh, need to see the holes. You need to fit it. And, and Mahomes just trusts his eyes more, and he's able to use his, his arm to, to get the ball there easier, uh, whereas man, it's, it's, it's not quite as easy. You're not seeing yeah. as many people like wide open like that. And it's it is a lot about anticipation and and like the schematic advantage that you have from Andy Reid being able to get guys into those open spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, just the route combinations and over flooding different areas of the field that like any zone that you do, like it's just not gonna work because Andy Reid has three wide receivers, you know, all kind of running through places and that's and really, really, really challenging. It might be more of a pre-snap thing. Like Alex Smith wants to have the defense figured out before the snap, and if they're in man defense, that's pretty easy to figure out. Like, okay, they're in man. Uh, now look, I got this guy going on an out. He should be able to break open, so I'm going to throw it to him. Like he wants to figure things out before the snap. Mahomes just kind of wants to, you know, playground style it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, just uses instincts and kind of and kind of do it that way. So I think that kind of lends to that as well. But yeah, I think we'll see more man press coverage. We'll see if uh, Chiefs have more success against this time. And I, I think the Chiefs have such a marked advantage at home, uh, especially versus playing at Denver. Denver's one of the tougher places in the NFL to have to go. Um, and I, I think even just the swing from Monday night in Denver uh, to playing, you know, Sunday at noon in Kansas City and both teams getting their second crack, I, I just assume the Chiefs are going to win by two two scores at least. Well, um, looking forward to beating the Broncos for, I believe it would be the eighth straight time. Um, I can't remember. It's it's either seven or eight, but it'd be it'd be awesome. Uh, that's that's all I've got today, Durkey. Any any final thoughts? Uh, uh, no. No. Okay. No. Well, I do want to say uh, thanks again to. Oh wait, no! I got a final thought. Oh, we need to find some Patrick Mahomes wigs. I yelled at a guy in the parking lot last week. He told me to go to a Halloween store. I went to said Halloween store. I did not see Patrick Mahomes wigs. So somebody find us some Patrick Mahomes wigs. Uh, we got a group of us. We want to run around in Mexico City all week with Patrick Mahomes wigs on, like a bunch of dumbass gringos. Uh, that that is my dream. Uh, do not make fun of my dream and please help my dream become true. Okay. I can, I can dig that. I'm with you. Um, I was actually laughing pretty hysterically when you initially said, like, can you imagine, you know, this group of guys like roaming around Mexico city in these Mahomes wigs for a few days, like we're going to be the talk of the town. And like every, every Chiefs fan is going to be so excited to like see this crew of people in Mahomes wigs, and I agree, I fully agree with you, and I am very much on board. So if any of you happen to uh, you know be out Halloween shopping and see them, let us know where to go pick them up. Because didn't you say that it was like sort of the Mohawky fro, and it had 
the headband. Well, see, I didn't get a good look at his. We just drove by him, and I just I'm just yelling at a guy in a parking lot. Uh, but but Whitlock's really got the one that's uh, primo. Um, I've seen I searched Twitter for Mahomes wig, and it's just people asking Whitlock over and over like where he got it. Uh, so it looks like people are looking for him. Nobody can really find him. I couldn't I couldn't get a lowdown on anything. You might just have to home make it at this point, like buy a bigger fro and cut it down, uh, and then get like a find a Chiefs bandana somehow. Well, and that's that was what I had suggested was like, do we have to get the the actual like afro wig and kind of shape like shave the sides down and then just buy a Chiefs headband, you know, like that. And that might be the move. That might be the play. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but guys, uh, please tweet to Dirk about his flatulence um, and let us know if please. you find any Mahomes wigs out there. Um, For my flatulence? If you fart in my wig, dude, like, <laughs> not not okay. You gonna get not pink okay. eye? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh God, I hope she doesn't have pink eye. I'm gonna feel really bad if that poor girl has pink eye. <laughs> Everyone in your caravan comes home with pink eye. We're, I'm, we're gonna know it's you. We're gonna know it was Dirk. Dirk farted in well, the eggs. We're gonna have a lot worse than that coming home from Mexico City. So. Yeah, I guess that's true. All right. Well, folks, this has been Amateur Hour. I am Ryan Scott Hall. He is his Dirkness, and this is the Grateful Dead. Love shaking on shake down sweet. Definitely don't sit by my butt after I come home from Mexico City. <laughs> don't sit don't do by that. your butt after you ever eat a meal in your entire life. Because... <laughs> You have an undeveloped gastrointestinal system. (laughs) How dare you?